name of our resurrected and returning Savior, and in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters of Christ, in the heart of our text from Matthew chapter 11, Jesus commands the one having ears, listen, not let him listen, or she would do well to listen. Our English language does not have a form for the third person imperative. How do you command somebody who's not there? It's awkward to our ears, but still the command stands. Listen. In our text, this command is followed immediately by a short parable that on first hearing seems to accuse us of precisely the opposite, of not listening. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. Didn't you hear? Were you paying attention? Or is there another reason, something more fundamental going on? Listening, or better yet, to whom we are listening, is something more fundamental. Fundamental to our faith, to our salvation, to our observance of this, the 502nd anniversary of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. It's codified in the Constitution of our Synod. Quote, The Synod and every member of the Synod accepts without reservation, one, the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament, as the written word of God, the only rule and norm for faith and practice. Close quote. This is to whom we will listen. First and finally, we will not listen to counsels or commentaries when they stand in opposition to this word of God. Neither will we abide orators nor organizations that challenge the veracity of these testaments. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will not even listen to the melody of our own heartstrings. All matters of faith and practice, sola scriptura, scripture alone. In a Lenten sermon on the crucifixion, Luther warned, quote, Everyone should flee as from the devil himself, the sects and enthusiasts who lead us away from the word and scriptures to human ideas, as do the Pope and the enthusiastic sacramentarians and others. For this is leading from a rock into quicksand. The more you try to gain a footing there, the deeper you sink, and it is impossible to avoid finally going down. God's word alone is the true abiding rock on which a person can depend with certainty. Close quote. Listening, sola scriptura, remains a challenge today on at least two fronts. In the academy, the Bible has become a book among books, an object for rational scrutiny whose origins can be found among men and not God. There's a classroom whiteboard in another church here in Tillamook that displays a carefully detailed exposition of the JEDP theory that seeks to explain the evolution of the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. Under this theory, the Pentateuch contains four unique sources from four distinct periods of Israelite history, each seeking to emphasize their unique sectarian interests. Yet Jesus says simply, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he, not they, wrote of me. In more practical circles, the Bible has become just another title on the self-help shelf of your local bookstore. Oh, there's still a religion section in Barnes & Noble, but go read the titles. These authors claim to use the Bible to define a course of action, to relieve this or that crisis, or to provide comfort in seemingly any and every contemporary circumstances. 
parts that are offensive or counterintuitive are simply ignored or dismissed as backward or the product of some first century writer's personal agenda. The first group, the academy, has stripped the Bible of its life, reducing it to a laboratory specimen to be examined, researched, and reconstituted to their reasoning. The latter group has stripped the Bible of its eternal power. They have traded the liberty of the gospel, our free salvation in Christ, for a handful of moral principles and dead rules. In the face of these challenges to the place and role of Scripture, what must we do? Well, first, we must confess our neglect of God's written word has impoverished our faith, making us less receptive to the wonderful gifts that the word proclaims. Then with eager ears, we can hear God's word of absolution. You are forgiven. And with joy, return to the living word. Listen again to Paul's summary of that living word. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Listen. Sola Scriptura. God speaks to us in lowly, seemingly fallible means. But do not be deceived. It is God who speaks. Listen, even when it seems weak and foolish. The little parable of the playmates in the marketplace offers an explanation for the why the scriptures are not heard. They didn't like the message. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The description of John, of course, John the Baptist, is singularly arresting, and it's not just the camel's hair coat and the diet of bugs. His message is stern and hard, a fiery prophetic word in the tradition of Isaiah and Amos. Repent, you brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming judgment? And John enjoys some initial success. Matthew writes, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. But that was then. The sun came up the next morning, and the fire of his message dimmed after Herod put him in prison. It can't really be that bad, can it? The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors. No, wait a minute, the playmates demand. You can't invite prostitutes and publicans. Where's the moral discipline? It's scandalous. It can't be that easy. They won't listen. They don't like the message. But it really is that bad. And it really is that easy. These are truths that God speaks to us in his word. But they are truths that we can only hold by faith. Sola fide, another of the Reformation solas. The truth is that God is at work under the opposite. It is that bad even as we sit in our comfortable pews, and it is that easily precisely because it is impossible. Jesus declares, If you are willing to accept it, he, that is John, is Elisha, who is to come. Yet a John appears to be a very unlikely Elijah. Malachi writes, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. I will send you Elijah the prophet. Malachi chapters 3 and 4. Right? Elijah is in Herod's prison. 
soon to be beheaded at the whim of a young girl for a jealous mistress. And Jesus, an equally unlikely Messiah. Don't get me wrong, he is true God, begotten of his Father before all worlds. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, as we confess in the Nicene Creed. Jesus holds the power to displace nations and kings. But what does he do? He calls sheep and washes feet. He commands, listen, even when the message sounds weak and foolish. Listen to the one who died that you might live. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and violent take it by force. Violence continued after the resurrection and ascension. In Acts chapter 7, we read of the stoning of Stephen. In chapter 12, James, the son of Zebedee, is put to the death by Herod's sword. And this past Wednesday, we celebrated the feast day of St. James of Jerusalem, Jesus' half-brother. Josephus tells us that Ananus, the son of Annas, who figured in the events of Good Friday, accused him of transgressing the law and condemned him to be stoned to death in 62 AD. Eusebius writes in the middle of the second century, quote, At this time, the persecution against us at various places flared up again more fiercely, and mob violence in the cities led countless martyrs to their glory. Close quote. What a wonderful choice of word. Not to their death, but to their glory. Luther, the reformer, before Luther, the reformer John Hess was burned at the stake in 1415. Luther himself lived most of his adult life under the execution order from Rome. Others gave the ultimate witness for the faith, the great solas of the Reformation. In our day, the cry of the martyr is still heard. In fact, the last century is reportedly the most bloodiest century in Christian history as the enemies of the cross grow more brazen. It should not surprise us. After all, it happened to our Lord before us. God's royal deeds and Jesus were violently attacked, attacked because the religious of his authorities of his day could only understand a glorious Messiah, not a suffering servant. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God to tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. You have said so, was his reply. So they killed him. We killed him. But God's plans were not thwarted. Satan did not win. Only believe God is working under the opposites. Luther characterized this as the joyous exchange. And in a sermon on a text from John, Behold the Lamb of God, he creates a rather extensive analogy that goes on for a couple of pages. He begins, quote, Christ is made a servant of sin, yea, a bearer of sin, and the lowliest and most despised person. He destroys all sin by himself and says, I came not to be served, but to serve. There is no greater bondage than sin. And there is no greater service than that displayed by the Son of God, who becomes the servant of all, no matter how poor, wretched, or despised they may be, and bears their sin. Close quote. And now he begins with the, the body of the analogy, but let me cast it in the 21st century context. Imagine, if you will, that Jared Kirshner showed up in Portland. I don't care about his politics or what you or I may think about the man. The analogy requires a person of great privilege and access to power. Use Elon Musk, if you'd rather. 
Anyway, Mr. Kirshner shows up in Portland at the Burnside Bridge, and he finds his way into the tent of a homeless man. And there he begins to nurse the man in his condition, washing off his filth and doing whatever the man needed. The press would go berserk. But what is the filth and stench of the homeless compared to the filth of our sins, Luther asks? Stinking a hundred thousand times worse and looking infinitely more repulsive to God than any foul matter found in a hospital, and here we must remember the state of 16th century medicine, yet this is the love of God's Son for us as he cleanses us, relieves us of the pain and burden of our sin by taking them on himself. Luther sums up the analogy with this thought, quote, How amazing it is that the Son of God becomes my servant, that he humbles himself so, that he encumbers himself with my misery and sin, yes, the sins and death of the whole world. He says to me, you are no longer a sinner, but I am. I am your substitute. You have not sinned, but I have. The entire world is in sin. However, you are not in sin, but I am. All your sins are to rest on me and not on you. No one can comprehend this. Close quote. This is grace. Sola gratia. The central and pivotal truth of the Reformation. The one having ears, listen. Jesus accomplished the first half of this joyous exchange on the cross. He died a thousand deaths. A thousand, thousand deaths, taking the sin of the whole world upon himself. He died my death, the just verdict for sin. He died your death. It is finished. You are redeemed. And then the Holy Spirit completed the second half of this joyous exchange in the water of baptism. He washed the filth and the stench of my sin from my soul and cleansed me. He washed the filth and the stench of your sin and declared, you are mine. Though we were infinitely more repulsive to God than the filth found in that homeless tent, Jesus washed us and put on us the robe of his righteousness, a seamless robe, not torn, not divided, nor was it given by lot. It was given to all who believe. Sola fide, faith alone that believes what it has heard God speak. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, where God spoke and continues to speak, thus says the Lord. Sola Gratia, grace alone, the divine, undeserved gift of eternal life through the merits of our resurrected and returning Savior, Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.